0: Hello everyone, Angela Pate here and welcome to the Women's Utilities Network One For All podcast. Our corner of the world where we will be talking all things utilities, careers and everything in between. Equipping you with the knowledge and skills you need to build a long and lasting career. Enjoy!
1: Hello everyone, I'm Joanna Bogdal, and I'm one of the advocates at Women's Utilities Network. And today I'm joined by Bindi Patel for this episode of our one podcast. Bindi is the head of customer experience at for Heat UK. And today she will talk about a very important topic in the context of net zero in particular, which is district heating. So welcome Bindi, many thanks for joining us. Really delighted to have you here. Thank you for Joanna. Uh, so Indy, you've had a very impressive career and a lot of experience in this space. So before we dive in and discuss this in more detail, if you could tell us a bit more about yourself, your current role, your background, that would be great.
0: Great. Well, those are very kind words. So thank you. And um, also thank you very much for inviting me to be on um, this episode. Um, so yeah, I, I've been in the energy sector my entire career. Um Which, yeah, I guess that's surprising. Um, I started out in a small policy consultancy um, called Impetus Consulting um, and worked on energy efficiency um, and fuel poverty and supporting local authorities um, developing their own climate change strategies. Um, That also involved running an energy saving trust programme called Practical Help. And that specifically was a programme to support um, local authorities on um, climate change questions or issues. Um, So it was very much like um, a a resource that local authority officers could use. Um, I subsequently spent some time in a local authority. So um, I did work at Lambeth Council um, in their housing and regeneration department. Um, I was in the environment team and that was supporting planning officers, assessing applications in terms of energy strategies and sustainability commitments. And then I kind of did um, a change of track and moved into policy. So um, I moved into policy development within trade associations, firstly at the UK Business Council for Sustainable Energy, which merged to become Energy UK. And there I focused again on energy efficiency and fuel poverty policy and retail retail issues in the energy market. And from that, I did uh, another change. I had been Exposed to district heating when I was at Lambeth, we did a bit of um, we took a bit of funding from the GLA as part of the DMAP program, which I think is still going, but maybe under a different name. Um, so that's when I first came across district heating, and there was an opportunity to look at um, putting in place an industry-wide consumer protection scheme for the district heating sector because it um, and remains currently unregulated compared to other utilities such as gas, electricity and water. And that felt like a, a really good challenge. Having come from policy, it was looking to do another another shift into more kind of regulatory issues, but also delivering something for the market. So it was uh, an honour, um, a big challenge, but... Um, I worked at Heat Trust for five years, launched the scheme and it's still going, which I'm really pleased about and has been adopted within the industry and is acting as a stepping stone towards formal regulation. And from that, I've now gone into the other side. So I now work at Battenfowl Heat UK and we are um, the fifth biggest um, European supplier in the market, energy supplier in the market, um, covering the whole value chain from generation through to networks and also to retail And within the Heat UK business, um, I'm head of customer experience. So I'm looking at the end to end journey for customers, both um, residential customers, non-domestic customers, but also our clients. Um, So the end to end customer journey that they have with us. So again, a real privilege to be able to join an organisation that has entered the UK market and to kind of shape the offering that we provide our customers. So really, I hope that's like a quick whistle stop tour
1: no it's very very impressive very interesting career journey um so maybe just as a starting point I think we are all familiar with gas boilers most of us mm-hmm. you know, have them in our homes. so we kind of know without going into technical details how they work so if you could tell us a bit more
0: about district heating what it actually is sure so as you've said Joanna. um More than 90% of the UK population has individual heating systems, and typically that will be a gas boiler, an individual gas boiler in your property, providing your heating and hot water. On a district heating system, um, it is provided from a central um, source. So rather than having individual heating systems in each property, heating and hot water is generated from a central source. We call that an energy centre that can be located um, on a development or near a development. And hot water is then distributed through a network of underground pipes. They're insulated pipes to make sure that that heat stays in. And that's distributed to all the buildings connected to that heat network. And the beauty of that is that you gain economies of scale, but it also provides you with enormous flexibility and future proofing for your network. So at the moment, if you've got a gas boiler, we know that uh, I, um, I think it's within 2025, government will legislate for no new gas boilers to be installed. And that's really important as our transition away from fossil fuels. So you'll have, as a homeowner or um, someone living in a property is responsible for the heating system, you will need to replace that. On a heat network, that responsibility doesn't fall to people connected to the heat network. It falls to the supplier and operator of that heat network. So you can start out, say, um, as some older uh, district heating schemes have with combined heat and power, um, which might be gas, gas powered combined heat and power. That generation source can then be replaced. And so it could be replaced with lower carbon technologies and even renewable technologies. Now at Vattenfall, our focus and our mission is fossil free within a generation. So we specifically look at ensuring that our heat networks are designed to meet that ambition. And our project up in Brent Cross is actually um, a heat network that will have the largest installed capacity of air source heat pumps. So two eight megawatt air source heat pumps are going to be installed to deliver the heating and hot water for the entire development and that's an equivalent of 10,000 homes
1: oh wow
0: yeah, that's fantastic isn't Damn. it so on that heat network for me the beauty of it is that it's future-proofed technology it's not reliant on a, or being tied into a specific technology that technology can be replaced and upgraded as new innovation comes into the market but because you've laid your pipework you've got your distribution pipework there so I kind of see it as being kind of um, plug and play. You you know, you've, you've got your na- network in there, you've got your foundations, but now by ensuring that you can change the generation technology as we get new, new, better technology and innovation in the market, you're really delivering a future-proof system for the customers there. And ultimately that means for a customer, they can benefit from the outcomes that they need. So that's comfort, that's warmth, that's a reliable heating and hot water service and security as well. Knowing that it's there, twenty four seven, and maybe we'll come on to a couple of more kind of customer benefits a bit later in the yeah, discussion. Yeah, sure. Yeah,
1: very interesting. So, yeah, you mentioned that most buildings in the UK rely on uh, gas for heating, um, and I think you probably already touched on that a little bit. But what are the different fuel sources or different technologies that can be used in the district heating system?
0: Sure. Um, So district heating, isn't new in the UK market, there have been a number of district and communal heating schemes, and a lot of those have really started out with gas boilers or combined heat and power. Uh, We've had some heat networks that are fed with biomass boilers, though due to air quality reasons, those are now being kind of um, phased out or you won't really see any new biomass boilers, particularly in cities. But lots of renewable and low-carbon technologies can also work with heat networks. So I mentioned air source heat pumps in our Brent Cross development. But you can also utilise waste heat. And in cities, there are numerous sources of waste heat. So waste heat could come from um, an energy recovery facility. So that's um, waste that can't be recycled. Rather than burying it in landfill, it can be incinerated and that heat can be captured and then used to provide heating and hot water via a heat network it could be capturing waste heat from data centers Um, in north london in islington there is a heat network that is capturing waste heat from the underground and uh, yes and um, we have um well we're one of the largest heat network operators in europe and our heat network in amsterdam one of the suppliers of heat there is actually a coffee roastery so you can capture waste heat from lots of different sources and pull that together and you know um you know it's the sum of its parts pulling in lots of different um sources of waste heat to feed the heat network so again i think for me that's the beauty of heat networks and that they're not reliant on a specific technology you can Bring in lots of different heat sources to add resilience to, um, to the heat network, but also um, making use of all the different ways in which waste heat is currently, um, but want a better word, kind of wasted in yeah. at the moment.
1: That's very interesting. I think that most of us when we when we talk about when we think about heat, we think about gas, CHP plants, potentially maybe landfill. But there are so many options there that yeah I didn't even think about it so that's very interesting to to hear. Um so going back to the benefits there you mentioned there are so many you know different benefits to to customers so could you maybe explain that in more detail but also if you could maybe talk about the kind of wider net zero benefits you could, could offer
0: sure so maybe if I kind of touch on the net zero ones first. Um mm-hmm. so you know as we know in terms of kind of meeting net zero the real thing that we need to crack is decarbonizing heating yes. and heating um, buildings counts for almost 23 percent of all uk carbon emissions 15 uh, 15 of which is from uk homes alone and so if we need to decarbonize our heating we need something that's really going to do it at scale and heat networks offer that benefit of being able to decarbonize buildings over a large scale um I've mentioned our Brent Cross development and the heat network there will reduce carbon emissions um, by 62% against the equivalent of having gas boilers in those properties. So that's a fantastic saving um, really helps ensure that that development is on its trajectory, which is to achieve net zero by 2030. Um, In terms of customers, being on a heat network means that you are with a single supplier. Uh, The reason being that you've got an operator that manages and maintains the entire heat network for for a particular development or a particular city. Um, At Battenbell, we're very keen and we focus on citywide scale heat networks to really maximise decarbonisation at scale. So that means it's a different type of service, whereas at the moment we're used to purchasing units. I think as a society, we're actually moving away from Purchasing units and thinking more about innovative solutions such as heat as a service. We're very yeah. used, to, um, uh, or becoming more more accustomed to buying more kind of subscription services where you pay a monthly fee, but for that you get a packaged service. And again, this is where district heating is providing a different type of service for customers. And for me, I feel it's a better way of delivering heating and hot water to customers, and that they're actually getting the end outcome. They're not purchasing kind of kilowatt hours of gas. They're purchasing heat and they're getting warmth, comfort, and then the wraparound care that comes with it, which is ongoing, full, servicing, repair and maintenance within a single price. So if there is an issue on the heat network, if a customer has a query, they have one person to call, that's fat and foul on our heat networks, We have guaranteed standards of service within which we need to respond to any issues. So those are in line with heat trust. So heat trust has set minimum standards in the market, giving customers assurance that if there is a problem, your supplier needs to rectify it within a specified uh, amount of time. And if not, then you will receive compensation. So it's really moving beyond um, putting the burden and responsibility of decarbonisation on customers and taking that burden away from them and those that are really best placed to deal with that issue because it can be a complex issue we take that responsibility on behalf of our customers to make sure that they get reliable heating and hot water and can do what they want like they you know enjoy their homes enjoy their neighborhoods because ultimately it's an essential service which should be operating smoothly and quietly in the background Yeah. Okay. And do you think
1: that customers in the UK are starting to warm up to that, you know,
0: heat as a service solution? Yeah, I think technology is helping to create that shift. I think now as a society, we are more accustomed to purchasing um, things as a monthly subscription or service. Mm -hmm. I think we're becoming more accustomed to using being more kind of digital focused in the way that we purchase uh, our services and our products. So I feel technology and innovation can help um, realise that transition. And some of the trials that the Energy Systems Catapult did with energy, um, Heat of the Service, which was admittedly on boilers, has shown that actually customers find it easier to, to understand that they're in, in that um, trial it was purchasing heat hours so rather than having to think about how many units of energy that you've consumed you're just buying an hour of heat um, which can be an easier way for customers to kind of manage so, yeah, I, th- I think that there is huge opportunity to bring different propositions to the market. I also think that as we use utilised data more, so um, we've obviously got the smart meter rollout happening in the rest of the gas electricity market on heat networks. Every new heat network, you have to have uh, individual heat metering. and. Um, very typically we will as standard put in automated uh, meter reading so customers don't have to provide don't get estimated bills they get accurate billing but again utilizing that data to then put forward new propositions um new ways in which customers can um, choose a particular tariff format that suits their needs
1: mm-hmm. okay, that's very interesting. it's good to hear that the the attitude is changing and maybe, customers and yeah more and more interested in
0: that so i was just gonna say i guess ultimately for me the, the kind of key benefit is this kind of hassle-free all-inclusive service yeah. um which i think you know that really resonates with consumers mm-hmm. this is again as we said it's an essential service it's an enabler it enables you to get on with your life you know have heating on having hot water being able you know obviously showering um etc this having this as a hassle-free, all-inclusive service that a customer doesn't have to worry about, they just know it's a wraparound service for a single price per month, I think is something that that does really resonate for consumers. Yeah, that's great.
1: Okay, um, so just one maybe final question from me would be, what do you think is the main reason behind, a, I think, quite a slow uptake uh, in district heating in the UK? Is it, is it financial? Is it infrastructure it's it's probably a mixture of of both and probably many more re- many more reasons there so uh so if you could maybe touch on that that would be great but also a related question would be are there any support mechanisms in place offered by either the uk government or local authorities uh that aim to
0: support that step transition sure so you you're right to say that heat networks at the moment are a small part of the energy market um they provide between 2 to 3% of the UK's heat demand at the moment. But in all of the CCC's scenarios for um, meeting net zero, heat networks have been identified as being low regrets and are included in, um, in all of the scenarios that the CCC has put together. And they're fantastic for decarbonising um, cities at scale. Uh, we know that cities really suit heat networks because they have the heat demand that's needed to provide a viable um, heat network or make a, a heat network viable. In terms of how, why they've not um, grown as much as perhaps they have in other markets, that really comes down to, um, I'd say, three kind of key areas. Um, first, I would say is demand risk. So obviously, in order to build a heat network out, you need to know that you've got customers there that are going to connect to the heat network. And at the moment, there isn't, it can be quite difficult to to secure that demand risk in advance of of building the heat network out. Um, These aren't small projects. These are large infrastructure projects, and they require a lot of uh, capital investment. And so for investors, obviously, a key risk is that, well, they need to be sure that the demand is going to be there in order to warrant the investment. Secondly, uh, because there is no overarching market framework within the heat network sector at the moment, and I'll touch on to what's happening to um, rectify that, there's no level playing field between heat network operators and other utility, utility operators in the market. So at the moment, a heat network operator does not have statutory undertaker powers, whereas Gas um, and electricity companies do have those powers, and that includes easements, so access to land and uh, um, street works. Um, uh, so they can, you can dig up roads and obviously repair your, yeah. you know, put in your, your infrastructure, repair your infrastructure. At the moment, heat network operators don't, don't have that. Yeah. So they have to go through the planning process, they have to um, negotiate that, that access. If they were given that level playing field, again, it reduces risk to the project because as um, to put investment in, you can be sure that you do have access to land. You are able to uh, dig the roads up that you need to to lay your pipe work. It helps ensure that the viability of that project uh, improves significantly. And that's been recognised by government, um, both Westminster government and um, devolved government. And Bayes has um, consulted on a heat mar- heat networks market framework, and as part of that, they've consulted on giving heat suppliers a level playing field. So um, statutory undertaker powers, and there'd be a licensing regime for that to demonstrate that, in order to have act- to have benefit from those powers, you are a suitably uh, suitable organisation. Um, to make make use of those powers, and also Scottish government has also um, been looking at what they want to do in terms of heat networks in Scotland. Um, Scottish government has actually already implemented, so they've um, they've laid a heat networks act uh, which um, came into force in twenty twenty one. So they're a little bit further ahead in terms of bays who have consulted on a, a heat markets uh, framework, but um, and have put out the response, but the legislation has yet to yet to be put in place. And then in terms of demand risk, but how do you address demand risk? Both Westminster gov- um, government and Scottish government are looking at heat network zones. Now, indeed, the Scottish government are a little bit further ahead and they've included um, heat network zones as part of this, their Heat Networks Act. Um, Bayes has consulted on it. We're waiting for the outcome of that consult- consultation. But what's really encouraging is that government has recognised that We need to establish heat network zones in areas where a heat network is viable to um, remove that obstacle of demand risk. So, I'd say that those are two kind of key barriers that we've seen, but they are being addressed. And by addressing those barriers, I think that really helps ensure or de risks future projects in the UK. And then finally, as I mentioned, there isn't um, formal regulation of, of the heat network sector. Again that is changing and we're really pleased to have confirmation from government that they are going to introduce um, Ofgem as the statutory regulator. So the work that Heat Trust has been doing has kind of been providing that the kind of foundations from which to build future regulation on but importantly the legacy of all kind of infrastructure is whether it delivers the outcomes that customers need and customers need to be confident and satisfied by being um, that heat networks deliver what they need uh, reliable heating and hot water um, at a fair price and when they need it and so having um, a robust customer protection framework for me is is it, it, it goes hand in hand with also providing the statutory undertaker rights for heat network suppliers in order to get those projects off the ground you can't have one without the other for me they both need to be in place and again really encouraged to see that that has been taken forward by government
1: yeah okay that's great yeah many thanks for that it's very very interesting it's, yeah it's as you said it's encouraging to see that that's that's happening and there is there is some progress there uh, Bindi, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. Really interesting conversation. And I've personally le- learned a lot. And I'm sure our listeners uh, will also find it very insightful. So thank you very much for, for joining me today.
0: Well, thank you very much for asking.
1: To our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode. If you have enjoyed it, please hit subscribe or like on your podcast app of choice. We'll be back soon with some amazing speakers sharing their insights and experience. So please stay tuned and spread the word.